this morning, I want to talk about something that um, in, in my uh, maybe seven years at Christ City, seven out of ten or so, I would say is not the, is not the biggest uh, topic of discussion. And that's uh, about sharing what happens here outside. In other words, evangelism. And um, if you know anything about uh, sermons at Christ City, it won't be probably what you're thinking. So that's the topic of this morning. So I want to ask you uh, a question that seems somewhat unrelated. Have you ever been put in charge or taken charge of something that you didn't really have the authority to be in charge of? Did you ever have to watch your younger siblings and they were like a year or two younger than you? I have. That, that never went well. It happened all the time. And basically how it went was um, we would fight and wrestle. It was me and, and two younger brothers. We would fight and wrestle until we knew we had about 30 minutes until the parents would get back, and then we'd call a truce and, like, clean up the house. That was kind of how that went. Um, or, or maybe you've been a manager of, like, a fast food chain or something like that. It's really tough. You're given a position to be in charge of people, but people don't always feel like you're in charge of them. Um, now that I think about it, it's just like being a boss of any kind. I mean, if you're a parent, you experience this, especially in teenage years. But you know what? My son's six, and he tells me all the time, you're not the boss of me. And I'm like, well, who is the boss of you then? And he says, mama. And I'm like, well, you're right, but whatever. Um, it makes me think of this story. Uh, I, I used to teach elementary art, and um, I loved that job. It was so much fun. And I started to travel schools when my school population went down a little bit. And so I had to go somewhere else to stay as a full-time teacher a day or two a week. And I started working at Berclair Elementary. Anybody? Any connections there? Berclair Elementary. Uh, and um, I was the only male uh, on campus other than the coach and the principal. And uh, so... And I was pretty good with discipline and stuff like that. So a lot of things would come to me. And one time after school was over, I was working in the art room there, organizing some things. And the other art teacher came up to me and she started telling me about uh, this, this kid named Emmanuel. And he was in the after school program. And he had decided he was just going to go home. And so it was, it was after school tutoring in the cafeteria. And he was bored, and he didn't like it, and he just picked up his stuff, and he walked home because he lived, like, right down the street. And so the teacher came up to me, and she was explaining the situation, and she was like, hey, can you believe he did this? And, you know, she was trying to get me to do something about it. But as she was explaining things, she saw the look on my face, and she realized that I was not upset at, at the child, but I was actually kind of proud of him. And... <laughs> So she just stopped in the middle of saying what she was saying. She's like, you're not going to do anything about this, are you? I'm like, no, I'm not. I said, I bet he left because that after-school program was really boring, and it wasn't meeting his needs, and he could see his house from outside, and he just decided, I'm just going to walk home. This isn't worth my time. And so he was in a situation in which people had authority over him, but the authority wasn't backed up by anything that seemed beneficial to him at the time. So this is kind of the, the case with 
uh, what we see Paul dealing with in a lot of the letters he writes is he's sort of in this position of authority, um, but it's not necessarily because someone has just granted him authority. There's not this big institution that's granted it to him. Um, and so he doesn't just, he can't just say, well, just do it because I said so. And yet he's still it's sort of holding this position of authority, but it's more because of he is so compelled by the message that he is carrying and by the way it has changed his life and the lives of his companions that it just sort of holds this sort of authority almost on its own and he's just sort of channeling or embodying it. And so I want us to keep that in mind as we look here uh, and we look at how he talks about specifically about sharing the gospel and also his life and his companion's life with the Thessalonians. Um, I think there's something uh, really important for us here. It's something that I think we will need to think a lot about because I think some of the things that are happening in this church right now need to be shared more than what they have been. When I look at the political state, when I look at what social media is doing, and what we are doing here at Christ City, because we, we did a survey recently, and, and one of the questions was, um, how would you uh, state yourself or place yourself as conservative or liberal? And there were kind of five categories uh, there. There was like very liberal, moderately liberal, kind of middle of the road, um, moderately conservative, or very conservative. And it turns out, in our church, the pendulum that we talk about uh, existed right in that data. And so what, what we're doing here at Christ City is we have people who think about things differently, who think about the Bible differently, who think about um, politics and ideologies differently, who are in the same space, worshiping God, asking questions, loving each other, and caring for each other. And this is something that's worth sharing. This is something that our country needs very badly right now. Anybody seen that uh, documentary, The Social Dilemma? It's about how social media is kind of um, putting us into these silos further and further away from anybody who thinks anything differently than us. Um, it, it, one of the fears that, that some of the guys there who helped architect some of like Instagram and Facebook and things like that, Twitter, that are on there, they're saying like, what are you afraid might happen? Like, what do you think the immediate threat is from what's happening with the silos in, in America? And, and a couple guys said, civil war. Like, that's, that's the point that we're at here uh, with some of these ideologies. And as we get closer to the political uh, election of, of, for president, um, things will go down. Things are going to happen. And so I think that the work that we're embarking on here as a church is incredibly important, and it needs to be shared. And I think that as I look out at the people here and I imagine the other people that are, that are online, I think that you also have the authority to share that message with conviction. So that's what I wanna talk a little bit more about. Let me paint the audience for you uh, quickly and I'm gonna try to, to raise this. Oh, good, that was easy. Thought that was gonna be way harder. The audience for this letter, can you guys still hear me while that plane's going over? Okay. Is, is a community of, of people who have newly decided 
recently decided uh, to follow Jesus as their Messiah and their Christ. And we learn a little bit about this story in the book of Acts. Remember when we went through the book of Acts? Like, that seems like a million years ago. And I think it was just like two, two years ago when we started that. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, we learn a little bit about how this community got started. And so, so Paul and his group are, are, are preaching, and um, people are being convinced of this message of, of this crucified Jewish Messiah who uh, they identify now as the Christ, um, the God-man, the one who ransomed their souls uh, from death and sin. And in verse 6, uh, it says they were looking for Paul and, and his companions. And in verse 6 it says, But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. Um, hmm. Interesting. Maybe I shouldn't have let Xavier help me pull my notes off the printer this morning. Xavier is one years old. Um, I had uh, a few more verses there, but, but they're not there. Um, essentially, uh, what it lays out after that is that the audience there is a group of Jewish people, because they started this in the synagogue, but also prominent Greek women and men. So that's the audience here. It's a, it's a pretty diverse community who have already, from out the gate, experienced persecution in where the very real ideologies of a new king are colliding with the political uh, elements of the day. So that was how this Christian community was born. So I said something about this last week. I'll say it again. There is no way to have a robust and real Christian faith that is somehow separate from the politics and the ideologies of the day. We have a long history of people who have tried to do that, and great atrocities have been committed when that sort of blind eye has been taken, when politics are somehow seen as separate from a Jewish king who came to say he was bringing a new kingdom and a new reality into the world. So to get out unscathed politically is also to ignore the biggest part of Jesus's message that he proclaimed on earth. And I don't want to do that. So anybody out there with me this morning? Anybody? All right. Can't tell. You're all masked up, not with greed, but, you know, with other things. So, uh, and I appreciate that. Thank you for doing that and for not having, for me to try to test my authority with you not wearing a mask. I don't want to have to do that. <laughs> so that's the audience here. And there's, there's something really powerful about what Paul says about his authority and what he was sharing with the, the Thessalonians. He says in verse 6 of, of 1 Thessalonians, Thess, uh, no, you know the book, Thessalonians, uh, chapter 2, verse 6, he says, as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. 
Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. An alternative uh, translation, uh, the NRSV says it this way, So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. So for the remainder of our time, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about what does it look like for us as Christ City, a unique church who wrestles with things in, in, a, in a way that's somewhat different than, than many of our, our, our sister and brother congregations around here. How do we share the gospel? And secondly, what does it look like? How do we share our lives as well or ourselves as well? I'm going to give a little bit more prominence to the sharing of the gospel because this church has grown tremendously in being able to share our lives. So, first, I want to talk about this idea of evangelism. When I hear evangelism, I don't know about you, I don't know about your background, but I think about going door to door and giving a canned gospel presentation and talking about how you're separated from God and there's this cross that forms a bridge between you and God and that kind of thing and asking for a response. Um, And I have some bad memories of sort of being forced into those kinds of things as a child. But when we think about the, the term gospel, it literally means good news. And so it's the gospel uh, meaning good news, and it's good news about Jesus and his reign, his life, death, and resurrection, and what those things have accomplished and are continuing to accomplish. Um, how do we uh, take that message of good news and share it? And so here's what I want to ask you right now, because we're a church where we invite and allow people to deconstruct, and many people have done that here. Many people have done that. And some of us are, are sort of asking now, well, how do I kind of reconstruct and rebuild a faith? Um, so here's the question. What's compelling to you right now about, the, about this church, about being part of this community? What's, what is necessary to you about this gospel that is preached? Because um, for some of us, it's Romans Chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 right now. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. It's that Jesus has brought you a new understanding in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, that you are not condemned by your sin, that you are not separated from God by your sin. And for most of us, the list would stop there because of how we were raised. And so we sort of attach all of these other ideas to it. But the heart of this message is so important because all of us experience guilt and all of us experience shame and all of us feel like that there are things that we have done that we don't know how to make right. And the message of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus is one in which we do not have to fear condemnation because of the actions that Jesus took on the cross. But maybe for you, what's compelling to you right now, also from Romans, do a little Roman road action here. Anybody follow me? Romans 6, verses 4 and 5. We were buried, therefore, with him 
by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall surely be united with him in a resurrection like his. So in this passage, we find something that's compelling and important. It's especially important for me when I'm in risky situations that I was compelled to be there because of my faith. When I'm out on the streets or in a park or somewhere and I'm partaking in a protest for black lives or the lives of people who are um, being uh, marginalized and endangered, I remember these types of verses that that Jesus rose from the dead and that I am promised a life after death. That gives me courage. That gives me faith. And that's compelling to me. Right now, I don't suffer a lot from a feeling of condemnation of that my sin is going to condemn me. I'm not trying to over and over say the prayer of salvation that I was taught at night. And so that was very important to me to focus on and rally around in my heart and my mind when I was 21 years old. But it's not right now. That doesn't mean the gospel is not compelling to me. The gospel is multifaceted. It's not just about a fear of condemnation. Or maybe neither one of those are compelling to you right now. Maybe what's compelling to you is something that was more neglected. Maybe it's Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and so on and so forth. Maybe it's uh, the Jesus' Jesus's first sermon in the book of Luke, where he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So, thinking about what's compelling to you right now, it might not be any of those things, and we've created a space for that, but what might be compelling to you is that you can come here, that you can wrestle, that you can say, I don't know if I believe any of it right now. And maybe that's what's compelling to you. Maybe that is worth sharing. Maybe it's those practices that you can engage in, that you can cultivate your spirituality without having to have all the right answers. This is good stuff, people. This is worth sharing. So my second question then about this is, if, if, if it is compelling, if, if it is worth sharing, if something about any of those things that I've shared compels you and motivates you, then what might stop you from sharing? Um, Paul was able to share because he had confidence. He, he had confidence that he was, in verse 4, he says, approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. So, again, Paul... He wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He wasn't one of the eyewitnesses of the life and the ministry of Jesus. He had an encounter with, with Jesus later, but there weren't many witnesses of him being with Jesus in that moment. And he didn't have all the backing of this big Jerusalem church that had formed. And yet he had confidence that he was approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. And 
I wonder what that looks like for us, for Christ City today, because it looks different that most of us didn't have a moment on the Damascus Road where we encountered the voice of Jesus telling, asking us, why are you persecuting me, and so on and so forth, blinded uh, by uh, a light like that. So can you feel confident or approved by God? Is that a possibility for you? So here's, here's some of the things that I, that I think can put you into that category. Do you feel an almost tangible, physical, textural grace ever that you belong? That you are not uh, the sum of the worst things that you've done? That you don't have to perform? That you don't have to subscribe to a certain list of ideologies or quick sound bites to be accepted. If you do, that is a good reason to have confidence that you've experienced something that is an entrusting of something essential to what human beings are striving after. Make no mistake, what's going on in our political environment right now is a crisis of belonging. That's what it is. It's a crisis of belonging, of people defending increasingly shrinking territories of what it means to belong somewhere and to feel safe and to feel like they're a part of something. And there are lots of people all too willing to draw where those lines beginning begin and where they end. And so looking here, when we think about Paul's confidence that he was approved by God, if you felt that tangible sense of grace, I dare say you have that too. That, that to say it another way, it's worth staying in the cafeteria at the after-school program of life here at Christ City. It's not that you always feel or think or believe and can articulate something, but that there is some profound, if slow, transformation that's happening in your life. And those take time. <laughs> transformation takes time, and it's not sexy, and it's not something that sells and blows up churches. It's something that when you're going through a tragedy, as some of you are right now, and others of us will be soon, just because that's life, it's something that when you look back as you've experienced that tragedy, you say something was different about it this time. And I'm handling this next transition, this next tragedy in a way that I didn't even know could exist before. This is something we cannot keep to ourselves. This is something that if you experience these things, then you are responsible to share them. Part of the life of something like that is that if it sits in one place too long, it dies. It has to keep moving. It has to keep regenerating and building just as the Messiah found it to be necessary not to stay in one place, but to spread us out all over the place to share that life, to share that confidence. Now, Sometimes we've, we've got all that, and we feel those things, and yet it's still, it's still difficult for us. Uh, and, and Paul addresses these in this passage. Um, he, he talks about several things 
on the front end that he's not doing that uh, the uh, that the that he wants to assure the Thessalonians that he's not doing. He says things like this: that he's not sharing the gospel out of error or impure motives, not trying to trick you, not trying to please people but God, never using flattery, no mask to cover greed, not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, he says, not asserting authority like a demand. But instead, he says, we were gentle. And he uses the metaphor of a nursing mother. It's not more gentle of an illustration than that. So the ways that he's talking about here, these are the typical ways that we exert control in relationships. And they can work really well for a while from afar. At a comfortable relational distance for acquaintances, we can use flattery, we can use trickery, we can use manipulation um, to sort of get some of our superficial relational needs met. And you can lead a church that way. You can lead an organization that way, keeping people at a certain distance for a certain time and cycling them through as they start to uncover those things that are happening. It's a good way to control. It's a good way to keep yourself from having to be vulnerable. It's the type of authority that you would embody where somebody only listens to you because they have to. And as soon as they don't have to, or as soon as you're not looking, then they're not going to listen to you any longer. But here we see a different situation where Paul says that they were so incredibly taken with these people that they wanted not only to share a message, a gospel message with them, a good news with them, but their lives as well. And, and, I, and I find this incredibly important because um, w- when you're delivering a message, if that's a message you've internalized, if it's something that you own, if it's that tangible sense of grace and belonging that you have felt, then it's going to change what your motivations are for sharing that message. It's also going to change the ability you have to stay in a relationship that is more intimate and vulnerable and therefore risky if you have internalized that message. If you yourself feel like you belong and can talk about it without a demanding uh, sense of needing it to go away right now when you don't feel like you belong, when you don't feel like you know God, that you can talk about those things. To the point where it's not that the Thessalonians were such amazing people. In fact, Luke throws some shade at them in the book of Acts right afterwards because right after they leave Thessalonica, they go and they, they hang out with the Bereans. And Paul and uh, Luke says, the writer of Acts, Luke says, uh, now the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. You know, the Thessalonians. Those folks. I had a lisp when I was in sixth grade, and it's coming back with a vengeance when I try to say that word. I faked my way out of speech class, and I didn't regret it until this moment. So it's not that these Thessalonians are so wonderful of people. It's that this message that Paul and his companions are carrying to them has so taken root in their own hearts and lives that they have become dear to them. 
even though there's all kinds of other things going on and they they got together in the midst of like riots and all kinds of terrible things happening and lots of blame throwing happening towards them. So he's internalized this message and I'm getting to the end of my message right here in just a moment. So oftentimes uh, I think we have been compelled by certain things, but we don't always have the tools to know what to do with them or how to share them. And that's important when it comes to having leadership, having, having elders, having um, uh, pastors, having people that you don't follow them because they do everything right or say everything right, but because they have exhibited the same vulnerability of the message that is, has become compelling to you, that you can see it in their lives. So when they mess up, they screw up, it doesn't break the relationship right away. And this is something that you have access to, that you can carry out as you share what's happening at Christ City beyond these walls, beyond these borders. And so the mediums that we have, that we've spent so much time building in our church, are the mediums of being able to share our feelings, name what we feel, to separate those from our thoughts and our beliefs, and to talk about those, to be able to have a non-anxious presence with people when we disagree on things, when we have different thoughts or beliefs, or we hold to different dogmas or theologies or ideologies. This is powerful, and I don't quite think we have realized the power of this and what we have. But as this world continues to do what it's doing, it becomes increasingly apparent to me that we cannot keep this to ourselves. So we have to share this good news. We have to risk it. We have to risk sounding foolish and uncomfortable and like whatever version of Christianity we might be currently reacting against. Because it's too good. It's too good that slow transformation that we're getting to experience as an institution and individually. It's too good. It's too rich not to share that. So I think about this from time to time, and, and I'll end here. I went to uh, Nairobi about 10 years ago, Nairobi, Kenya, where a friend of, a friend of Becky and I's who, who we had lived together for years in an, in an intentional community had moved there, and she lived in downtown Nairobi with some, some Kenyans there in an apartment. Like she was just, she wasn't like a, she started out there as like a missionary and she lived in the missionary compound and she's like, I can't do this. I, I got to get an apartment and live with the folks. And, uh, and so she did. And um, we went out to, one day we went out, uh, this is when I was an elementary art teacher. We went out to some slums, uh, one of the biggest slums in, in, on the continent. And we went to a school to work with some students there at the school, I was going to give them their first art lesson. They'd never had an art lesson before. And there was a class of uh, maybe second or third grade age kids who were next door to this middle school class I was, that I was teaching an art lesson in. And it was silent in the classroom. And there were like 30 kids in there, second grade age, so not much older than my son right now, maybe eight years old. And they had no teacher. 
and they were all just working on their math problems. And I, th- I thought about that as I was thinking about this message, and I was thinking about these kids were not working on those math problems because they were scared of the authority of when their teacher got back. They had internalized a message of hope about their education. And so whether there was somebody there to help them or not, or instruct them or bring correction to them or not, they were going to continue to carry forth what they knew to be the most hopeful thing they could do in their lives. And they weren't willing to stop just because they didn't have all the answers in front of them or they didn't have somebody prodding them and motivating them. And I think as we grow and mature as a congregation, In this present moment right now, this is something for us to consider, that this table that we're about to come to right now is a table that is made for sharing. It's a table meant to bring people to with the enthusiasm, with the the heart that has experienced this sense of fellowship, this sense of belonging. Not that you feel it all the time or you got it all figured out, but it's something even in that that's worth sharing. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for um, your word. We thank you for um, how it takes us places we wouldn't necessarily choose to go. But thank you that you give us the grace to follow more and more. And um, I think about the table and what we're about to experience and the belonging and the knowledge of you that's contained within it. And I pray, Lord, that when we take communion this morning, uh, that we would allow ourselves to drink deeply, of that belonging and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.